What's up, church? Glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, we are in our series called Living in Light of His Return. And for the last few weeks, we've been diving into uh, two tiny little letters that are located smack dab in the middle of the New Testament called First and Second Thessalonians, where you got this guy named Paul, who he is writing to this, uh, to this brand new church, this brand new group of Christians within this huge Roman city called Thessalonica. And, um, and so Paul's writing them. And these people got some questions about this whole Jesus returning thing. What does that look like? What's going on with that? Like, what's the deal with that? And so Paul is writing them, and uh, he's answering some of their questions, that appears, uh, that they have. And one of the issues that's kind of going on within this church is that uh, Paul was the one who was actually teaching them. Paul was the guy that actually started this church. So he knows these people, he cares about these people, he loves these people. And they're there, and they start realizing that they know Jesus is coming back for them, but then people within their church start dying. And, and it's probably, by the way, safe to assume that these people aren't dying of natural causes, okay? These people, um, we already know that the city, they, were, they did not appreciate this whole Christianity thing, this whole idea of there's a real king out there called Jesus, and so they didn't like that, and so um, they were already, actually, they're the ones that chased Paul out of town. They didn't want Paul there, and they were trying to find Paul and drag him away, and uh, that's probably what's going on within this church. They're probably getting killed for their faith in Jesus. And so these people are writing Paul saying, hey, what's the deal? What's going on with Jesus coming back? We're dying over here. We're getting killed over here, right? And so, so did Jesus forget about us? Or what happens to the people that have died? Do they get to experience that? What's going on? And so last week we talked about how Paul, he writes this letter and he's telling them that, no, 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 no. Your dead friends and your dead family, all right, they're not gonna miss it. Right? They're not going to miss out on anything. Actually, there's this event that happens before Jesus comes back. And it's this event that we, in, in Christianity, like we, we call the rapture. But where Paul says that Christians are actually caught up. That's the word that he used. Snatched up or caught up in the air. And they actually meet Jesus. And the Christians who have died, they actually get to go first. Their bodies go first. And then the Christians who are alive on earth at that time, they get to go. Now, this is all stuff that is going to happen the Bible's saying, okay, this isn't Zach Pinkerton's, um, you know, my, what I think, okay, my opinion. This is, the Bible's saying this is going to happen in the future, okay? This has not happened yet, and so this is really, really, really good news that Paul's telling us. And so someday, think about it, the church will be taken, not the building, not, the church isn't something that we do, okay? The church is the people in the building who are Christians, or the people, they don't even have to be in a building, the people who are Christians that come uh, and do life together. And so that's what the church is. So someday the church will be taken. And so the question that we have is then what, right? Like, like okay, so, so then what? And, the, and Paul's anticipating that these people are gonna ask that same question. And so now Paul explains that this church taken event will actually usher in a special period of time where God's going to do just a whole bunch of stuff. Now, let me just give you a fair warning. Today is going to be different. It's going to, you know, these aren't like my, the most fun for me to like, to like teach. But it's good stuff. It's just a lot of information. So it's going to kind of feel like class. And, uh, you know, we'll try to get through it the best that we can. So let me just, first, I just want to say sorry for that. And by the way, when I say sorry, I'm not saying sorry for what the Bible has to say. I'm saying sorry for my feeble attempt to teach what the Bible has to say. Get what I'm saying? Okay. So that's what, you know, we'll see how, we'll see how it goes. Um, 
but uh, there's going to be a lot of information. It's going to be really confusing, and um, there's gonna be, we're going to be talking about stuff that is really just hard for us to imagine. So um, if you're new with us this morning, I just want to say... Good luck, okay? I, know, I just want to say, hey, we're glad that you're here. Um, you might be sitting there, and you might be new to whole Christianity and church, and you're just trying to figure things out. We want you here. You know, you're searching for answers. You're going to find them here, okay? The Bible has answers. God has answers for us. But uh, you might be sitting here going this morning, and you might be thinking, man, this is, like, weird. And I just want to say, yeah, it is, okay? Super weird. It's hard to, it's hard to imagine what's going to happen, but God is telling us, what is going to happen in the future? And just because it's weird doesn't mean that it's not true. Okay? It's true. So these are God's words. All right? So we all on the same page? Yeah. All right. Good luck. Okay, here we go. First um, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. He writes to them. He says, hey, about the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. He's like, hey, I've already taught you this. All right, we've already gone through this, and so I don't really have to explain this anymore. But the next verse, he says, for you yourselves, you know, like we've already gone through this. You know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Now, the day of the Lord isn't like a specific day someday. It's not a literal, literal 24-hour period of time. The day of the Lord is different. The day of the Lord within the Bible is specifically talking about Jesus coming back someday. In fact, it refers to a period of time where God deals with evil in the world directly and dramatically. Okay, that's what the day of, Lord, day of the Lord refers to. I mean, think about it right now. What's going on in heaven at this moment while we're sitting here in these seats? Right now, God is sitting on the throne, uh, the throne room of heaven, and he's, he's got angels singing to him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, meaning he's infinite, and he's constantly being worshiped, and everything around him is perfect, and he's infinitely holy, infinitely righteous, and infinitely powerful, meaning he could do whatever he wants, and down here on earth, his own creation openly and unapologetically degrades him and criticizes him, yet it seems like he does nothing. Right? I mean, that's what's going on. But what we're going to find out is that's going to come to an end someday, as it should. All right? It's messed up. And in fact, the timeline kind of looks something like this. So first we have Jesus is first coming. That happened around 2,000 years ago. That's, where, that's why we celebrate Christmas, you know, baby Jesus and Mary and wise men and all that kind of stuff. So that's Jesus' first coming. He lived to about 33 years old or so. And, um, and when he was around 33 years old, we actually put him to death, all right? We as humans, we put him to death on a cross. And when Jesus rose again from the dead, he didn't stay dead. He defeated death. He rose again from the dead, and he came back for about a period of 40 days or so and appeared to a bunch of his disciples. He appeared to a whole one time. He appears to 500 people at once. And he tells people, he starts this thing called the church. Now, the church isn't my idea. Isn't it somebody's idea from a thousand years ago or anything? No, this was Jesus's thing that he started. And basically, like I said, the church is not a building. It's not something we do. The church is just Christians, people who have given their lives over to, to Jesus or started a real true relationship with Jesus, which, by the way, he wants for every single person in this room. And he, we come together and we do life together, those of us who have, called, who, have, who have started that relationship with God. And so 
This is the church age. We're in the church age right now. It's roughly around 2,000 years plus, right? We don't know how long it's going to go. It's been around 2,000 years so far. Uh, It's just interesting that when Paul and some of these guys that we're going to be looking at today and John and Peter, like when these guys are writing the New Testament, like they think it's going to happen like then, like maybe even within their own lifetimes. They don't know for sure, but they're like, it's coming. 2,000 years later, we're still waiting for it, which means we're super, super close today. Well, after the church age, the church age ends with this event called the rapture. We talked about this last week. If you weren't here last week, you should go back and listen to last week's message online. Um, the rapture is where the church is literally caught up. We, are, we go up to, you know, we, Jesus calls us out, and, um, and we are kind of spared in the sense of what's about to happen now. Um, the tribulation is something that the Bible talks about. It's a seven-year period where a whole bunch of terrible stuff happens on the earth. And then at the end of those seven years, Jesus comes back. And so the day of the Lord that Jesus is talking about here, it's actually, it includes the tribulation and Jesus' second coming all together. So it's about a seven-ish year period. Seven-ish year plus, I don't, you know, something like that is how long the day of the Lord actually, actually is. So, Paul's writing this, and he's saying, hey, you already know about the day of the Lord. We've already talked about it. I already taught you this. In the next verse, all right, he says, uh, there we go. Well, hold up. Let me, I'll get there in a second. So he's talking about the day of the Lord. And so if you think about it, right, Christians are gone. That's what he says. That's how he starts off. We talked about that last week. Um, And what's going to happen when that happens, right? The whole earth is going to be in a panic. Like, I was looking up this week, I'm like, I don't know how many Christians there are on the earth. What's that look like? Um, a lot of people estimate there's about one point, or sorry, 2.5 billion Christians on the earth at this point, but I know that, you know, in my opinion, that's probably a lot less, because we're talking true Christians, or people that are actually giving their lives over to Jesus, not just people who say they're Christians. And so let's just assume it's going to be around a billion, um, if it were to happen today. So think about it. A billion people on earth just disappear. It's going to be crazy. Right? Like, it's going to be chaotic. It's going to be chaos. It is going to be a mess. This is something that's going to affect, you know, affect every nation. I mean, it's going to be um, nuts. Like, you think COVID changed our world, and you're upset about some of the things that are going on with that? Like, what's going to happen when, eight, when a billion people disappear? Right? It's going to be, it's just going to be a mess. And so, after that, we can kind of see how, because of that event, that kind of leads up to the things that are going to happen within the day of the Lord. So after the rapture, all right, work with me here, track with me. After the rapture, soon after that, we have the day of the Lord that begins. And Paul says, ain't nobody going to be ready. In fact, he says, it's going to be like, it's going to come like a thief in the night. Uh, and what he's pointing to, like, think about this. If someone's going to rob your house, they're going to wait. You know, they're not going to rob your house while you're sitting on the couch eating Cheetos watching TV, okay? They're going to wait till you're either asleep or you're gone. They're going to wait till you are not until you are not ready. And so Paul, he's just pointing that out. He's like, that's how the day of the Lord will show up. Like people are gonna be, in a sense, asleep or people are gonna be caught off guard. No one is gonna be ready and nobody is going to be expecting it. And so Paul explains in verse three, he says, when they say peace and security, interesting, how many times have you heard a 
a leader or a politician, you know, talk about peace and security. Ah, oh, you vote, you know, well, that's what they all do, right? It doesn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, or whatever, okay? Everybody promises, it's going to be better if I'm in charge. You know, everybody says that. And so they're all saying, it's the same thing back, or not back then. I did that last service. It's the same thing in the future when this happens. Um, he's saying, when they say peace and security, right, he says, that's when sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Interesting to me that he talks about or that he relates the day of the Lord to a woman giving birth. Now, for me personally, I've never had to experience giving birth, and I will never have to because I am a man, okay? Thank goodness for that. I'm so glad that I don't have to go through that. But I hear it hurts. I know there's probably a, a good handful of you out there that could attest to that. Um, I remember our, for our third child, Kate and I, we got three kids, um, two years ago for Lizzie, um, Kate was pregnant, and we had gone through two births already, so we're like, you know, we, we know what we're doing. And uh, experts on this whole birthing thing, especially me, you know, because I watched. Anyway, so we're there. And, or not, we're there. We're at our house, and one day, Kate, I, I like walk in the living room, and she's just like crumpled on the floor, and she's like, uh, moaning, and I'm like, what is wrong with you? What's going on? You know, and she's like, she's like, oh, I don't know, it just hurts really bad, but I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. I'm like, well, do we, you're about ready to give birth. Like, do we need to go to the hospital? Like, I don't want to, you know, a mess on my hands. Like, you know, it's like my worst nightmare is giving birth, delivering a child in my house on my carpet. You know, that's just like something I don't want to deal with. Um, it is like my worst nightmare. Anyway, so I'm like, you know, we're not doing that, right? <laughs> or, you know, right? And she's like, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. And then I come in like 30 minutes later, and she's like still like in pain. And then she like moved to a different room. She's like in pain. She, then I come in like the last time, and she, I remember, I remember this specifically, because she's like crumpled on our stairs, like groaning. And I'm like, that's it, right? We're going to the hospital. Like I'm making, I'm putting my foot down. We're making a decision because we might be getting close again to having a disaster here at home. So I take her to the car. We, we drive over to the hospital. We get to the hospital and I get her in a wheelchair. We wheel her up there and the doctor takes a look. The doctor's like, whoa, you are having a baby. And 45 minutes later, we have a kid. So think about it. I was like 45 minutes away from it being really bad and really becoming an expert on this whole birth thing, but we, but we made it. Um, but it's interesting here what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, you know when labor starts and it's painful, right? Some of you ladies are like, yeah, I know exactly how that is, more than Paul does. Um, and, and he's saying, and you know how there's nothing you can do to stop it? You know why? Because the baby's coming, right? Like there's nothing you could do. It's coming. That's how the day of the Lord will be. And Paul's just throwing out there, he's like, they're gonna be like Kate and I in the sense of they are not gonna be ready. No one's gonna be ready. And there's nothing that they can do to escape it. There's nothing they can do to push it back or to, to delay it somehow. In fact, he says there is actually no escaping here about what's going on. And what is it? No escaping from what? It's says sudden destruction. That's what's coming that's what nobody is ready for. That's the situation. Now, Paul doesn't really go into much detail about what happens here. 
He, he doesn't. But we see other parts of the Bible where it does. In fact, Jesus did. He went into details. One, funny, because one time, Jesus, he's with his disciples. They're actually in the temple, um, which is at the top of a hill. Jerusalem's kind of built on a hill. And uh, at the top of the hill, that's where the temple was. And so they leave, and they cross over, and they go over to, like, the next hill over, which is called the Mount of Olives. And from that hill, they can overlook, and they can see Jerusalem. They're overlooking the temple. The sun, it's in the evening, so the sun's setting. It's probably, like, super nice as they're sitting up there. And his disciples come to Jesus. They're like, hey, you know, you keep talking about, like, this end of the world thing, like, the end. Like, when's that all happening? What's that going to look like? Don't leave us out in the dark, Jesus. We want to know. Like, I would, I would totally do that. Be like, Jesus, what's going on? Tell me a secret. So this is what they say. It says, we see this in Matthew 24. It says, tell us, Jesus, when will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming and of the, of the end of the age? Like, like, what's going on here? And so Jesus replied to him. He's like, all right, I'll tell you some things. He says, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I'm the Messiah. And they'll deceive a whole bunch of people. They'll deceive many. He says, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. and See that you are not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. It's going to be crazy. And all these events are the beginning of labor pains. Here's Jesus. He's talking about labor pains, right? He's, he's like, this is how it is. It's literally like giving birth. It's like labor pains or it's at the beginning. And so Jesus, he, he lists some of these things out. I mean, did you catch some of them? Right, he says, okay, this is what's going to happen before the end. All right, let me just throw some things. He talks about wars. He talks about rumors of wars. He's saying, hey, people are going to come, and they're going to say, hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. Hey, trust in me. You know, you can do that. And, and uh, people are, there's going to be famines, and there's going to be earthquakes. By the way, does that sound familiar? All right, this is like, go watch the news. All right, this is like every night you hear stuff like this. Every year we, we hear about stuff just like this, like this stuff is happening. It's almost like you can list all this stuff out and go, check, 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 check. Okay, we got all that done. Jesus, he's not done. He says, then they will hand you over to be persecuted and they will kill you. Probably not what any of the disciples wanted to hear. Wait, what? You're going to, wait. <laughs> he's like, yeah, you're going to die. Okay, that's how you'll know. He says, you will be hated by all nations because of my name. By the way, let me just point one thing out. We hear this thing like, like they're going to kill you. They're going to start killing the Christians. And, and here in our little comfy bubble here in the United States at this point in time in the history of mankind, you know, we're so comfortable and it's nice. Like we don't have to worry about anything like this. We got this thing called freedom of religion and all that type of thing. Guys, this is something that is happening all over the world. Like every year, I actually looked up a bunch of stats this week, but every year it's been increasing for like the last few decades, okay, where more and more Christians are being killed, meaning hundreds of thousands of Christians are being killed. We don't really hear anything of it, and we don't think anything of it, because it doesn't really affect us. But that they'll kill you thing, that is a very real thing to our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world that we just don't have to deal with. Let me just point that out. So he says that's happening, and that's happening right now, okay? He says then many will fall away. They'll betray one another. They're going to hate each other. And many false prophets will rise up and they'll deceive a whole bunch of people. This is because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many will grow cold. People are going to stop loving each other. They're only going to start thinking about themselves. But the one who endures to the end, that person will be saved. He says, this good news of the kingdom, by the way, what's that good news? 
There's good news about why he was there on earth. The good news is that Jesus came as God. We had a sin debt to him because every single one of us have sinned. We're all sinners. We're all jacked up, messed up people. And that has to be paid for. Why? Because God's perfectly just and he's perfectly holy. It has to. That's what a just being, any just God would do. And then he came 2,000 years ago and he paid our price. He took our punishment that we rightfully deserve on himself. And so he paid for it while showing us how much he loves us. And now each and every one of us, we have the opportunity to, to choose to follow him or to choose to do life our own way. And we all, that's an individual thing, not between us and our pastor, us and our parents, us and our spouse, whoever, okay? It's between us and God. And um, if you haven't done that, man, you need to get right with God. I encourage you. It's the most important thing you could ever do in your entire life. And so Jesus is saying, that's the good news that there's hope and there's actual forgiveness. You don't have to have all this guilt. You don't have to have this shame. He says, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. See, this is the one thing that I don't feel like has happened yet. I think probably every, if we look at a map, every nation on earth has probably heard about the good news or heard about what Jesus has, has done. I think that's been proclaimed. But I think what Jesus is, I think he's more specific. I think really, personally, it's more of a, a people group, okay? So some nations have like, you know, 50 different people groups within it or something like that. Um, and so I think every people group, this has to be um, the gospel, or what we call the gospel, which is just good news, has to be taught to every single one of those. But we are so close to that happening. I don't think we realize this. In fact, many Bible translators, um, they have this goal. It's actually a goal, not just a prediction. But the Bible, they're saying, will be translated into every language by the year 2025. In fact, they were shooting for 2020. It just didn't happen. Um, but now they're saying 2025 is all going to happen. I mean, like, this stuff is happening now. Like, it's happening whether we're a part of it or not. And so all this needs to happen before the day of the Lord that Paul is talking about. Now, God gives us a glimpse of what will happen in those days. We see this actually in the book of Revelation. Um, one time, John, who was actually one of Jesus' disciples, um, he was actually on the Mount of Olives when they're asking Jesus these questions. Maybe he was the one that asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, tell us what's going on, what's, you know. Come on, give us an inside scoop. Um, that may have been John. We don't know. Uh, but, uh, but later on in John's life, really at the end of his life, John, is, uh, he's been exiled by the Roman government. He's living on this island called Patmos, kind of in, in prison in a sense. And John's there. And uh, he's an old man at this point. And one day he wakes up. He does his normal thing. He's eating his cereal, reading the paper, maybe drinking his coffee. I don't know what he was doing. But bam, he's in the presence of God. Okay, like just all of a sudden, and he wasn't ready for it, and he didn't know what was going on. Now, John wrote the book of John. Oh, <laughs> Revelation. Okay, that was harder. Yeah, um, but John wrote the book. We'll get there. All right, just hold up. All right, John wrote the book of John. Okay, God kept it really complicated for us when he did that naming thing. Um, but okay, so John wrote John, and when John wrote the book of John, which was really just a, an account of Jesus' life, because John was there. He's an eyewitness. Um, John describes himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Isn't that funny? I don't know why people don't find that funny. I mean, here's John. I'm writing a book about Jesus because I was with Jesus, and I, he loved me more than anybody else. You know, that's how he kind of refers to himself throughout his entire book. He's like, the disciple that Jesus loved, I'll, you know, did this and did that. So, um, Jesus and John were super close. We know that John was one of the inner three. Um, John and Jesus were, were super tight, maybe even, in a sense, best friends, although that would be weird because 
Um, like Jesus is literally God, so that's a different relationship in a sense. But anyway, John suddenly appears in the throne room of God, and John tells us that somebody starts talking to him behind him. And so John turns around and he sees Jesus. Now you'd think they hadn't seen each other for, for decades at this point until Jesus, you know, since Jesus you know, went up to heaven when John was in his 20s, and now he's at the end of his life, and he's an old man. He looks over, and he sees Jesus, and he doesn't go, yo, what's up, Jesus? He doesn't say, hey, long time no see. He doesn't give him a big bear hug or anything like that. He turns around, and this is how John describes it, not me. He says, I saw a white-haired, fiery-eyed, glowing skin, shining face of Jesus, and John says he falls on his face like a dead man. And Jesus reaches over, and he he says, don't be afraid. I want you to see what's about to happen at the end. And he says, and I want you to write this stuff down. So get your paper pad. Let's go, because I want you to write this down. And so John watches, and this takes place. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with, the, with writing on both sides sealed with seven seals. This gives us the idea. Back in the day, they used to have kings. Um, or for Rome, it would be the Caesar, who when they were going to write something, they wrote it on a piece of paper, rolled it up, you know, into a scroll. And then he would seal it with hot wax and his ring. He, only, he was the only one who had a ring like that. He couldn't be copied. And so basically that ensured two things to the reader, saying, A, this is actually from the king or the Caesar, and B, no one's like messed with it or read it because he was the one who opened this up. So same thing that's going on in heaven. It says, uh, he saw the scroll and it's there. And then he says, I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice. He says, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? John says, but no one in heaven or on earth or even under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. They weren't even to look inside, like even get a peek. So he cried and cried because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. He says, then one of the elders walks over to him and he says to him, he says, hey, don't cry. Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. Real quick, he gives us, this isn't like a physical lion comes up, it's hairy, you know. It's not what's going on. All right, this is, he's describing the, really, he's, he's, he's describing Jesus He's saying, don't you worry, John. There's someone who's like a lion, who's like fierce and strong and nobody can tame and dangerous but also good. It's like the Aslan from Narnia type, type look. He's like, that lion, all right, that person, he can open up that seal. I can promise you that. And so it says, do not cry because look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the powerful lion, Jesus, the root of David has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and even it seals. He's got this. And then John says, then I looked, and he's pumped. Here comes this ferocious, you know, God figure, Jesus, lion of a Jesus. He says, then I saw one who looked like a slaughtered lamb. Right? He's expecting like a lion. He's like, no, no, no. This person that walked up looked like they had been beat, bloodied up. I mean, this is like a slaughtered lamb looking of a person standing in the midst of the throne. Reminds us that Jesus, when he came first, and we killed him, right? We beat him up. We, you know, scourged him. We hung him on a cross. And he bled, you know, uh, he came as a suffering servant for us. He didn't have to. This is God of the universe here. But he did that for us, to pay the price for us. 
And he's saying, that's what he looks like. You got this Jesus guy. He's standing there. He's all ripped to shreds and bleeding. And it says, he went and he took that scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. And when Jesus does this, the Bible says that everyone, the angels, there's pe- the people that are there, it, it, even the Bible talks about like these beast things that are also there. It says everyone starts yelling and everyone who starts screaming, worthy is the lamb. They don't say worthy is the lion. They say worthy is this lamb. And Jesus begins to open the seals which are connected to the things happening on earth during the seven years of tribulation or during the day of the Lord that Paul has been talking about. Now, for us this morning, we don't got time to go through everything in detail, and we don't have time to go through the scientific aspects of everything, but I do want to assure you it's there. In fact, it's kind of interesting. When you talk about the end of the world and all this stuff, for the last 2,000 years, it's been the church that has been screaming that out, and everybody's like, ah, it's not going to happen, you know? But now, I'm just pointing this out. I don't want to argue. You don't even want to talk about it after the service. So. But now, it's just interesting that the scientific community is saying, whoa, we're all going to die. You got global warming. You got all this stuff. You know, people talk about asteroids and all this kind of thing. And it's just like, it's just interesting. It's like they finally caught up. Like, yeah, there's scientific evidence to how all this could happen. So, again, we don't have time to go through everything in detail. But I do want to quickly tell you what happens. And we're going to go fast. Ready? All right, well, all six of you guys are good luck. The rest of you guys just try to hold on to your seat. I don't know. Um, Anyway, okay, so this judgment or punishment that happens within the first seven years, it happens in three, really three phases, and it kind of looks like this. Um, You got the seals, you got the trumpets, you got the bulls. Each one of these has seven things that happen within it. Um, It doesn't happen like seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls. It's not like in that type of order. It actually goes one, two, three, four, five, six, the seventh seal. And within the seventh seal, you have seven trumpets, and you got that going on. And then within the seven trumpets, you have seven bowls. Again, each of these seals, trumpets, and bowls, that can get confusing. It's just seven things that are going to happen, okay? And it's split up into these three phases. Um, Basically, as you can see here, it gets progressively worse as time goes on. Does that make sense? All right? It gets way worse. The seventh seal, you have all this happening. The seventh trumpet, you have all this happening. I mean, it's going to get way, way worse as time goes on. So here we go. Um, Jesus, he's standing there in the throne room, throne room of God, and he busts open this first seal. And we see basically God's just telling us what's going to happen And he's using this kind of as a visual illustration for us. But uh, during this, a world leader um, steps on the scene. And we, the Bible calls this world leader the Antichrist. Uh, We're going to actually be talking about that next week. So make sure you come back as we go into all the political stuff. Um, Not current political stuff. Okay, no one's going to come for that. But... uh, But political stuff, what this will be someday, you know, just, there we go. So, this world leader steps on the scene and brings peace. Interesting that the seven years of tribulation, you know, that the Bible talks about, it begins actually with peace, right? Not not like destruction or not violently. It doesn't begin violently. It starts with peace that this world leader brings. But that peace does not last for very long. So Jesus, he unseals the second seal, and that peace is taken away, and war breaks out between the nations, okay? So each country, they start fighting each other, which is something that we've seen in the past, and it's going to happen again in the future. Um, the third seal is broken, and there's a famine that, uh, that takes away a bunch of the food on the earth. And when this happens, the Bible explains that there's going to be like hyperinflation going on. 
talk. Now, interesting, because with COVID and, you know, all the stuff with transportation and all that, you know, that we hear about uh, on the news, like, some of, some of you guys are super mad, because I've heard you complain about it, where it's like, inflation, 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 why is food costing so much, gas prices? You know who you guys are. You guys complain about it all the time, okay? We don't understand what, and I'm with you, by the way. I don't like paying more money for stuff. So, we don't understand what this is. Like, this is hyperinflation. Way worse than anything that we think we might be experiencing, anything that we think is bad right now. This is hyperinflation. In fact, the Bible's saying that people, just to get food, they will sell, like, everything that they have. Just to get, like, a loaf of bread, just so they can survive for another day. That's what's going on. Um, the fourth seal is broken, and one-fourth of the population on earth, they end up dying. And they die a variety of ways. Number one, from the wars. Number two, from this famine or from the lack of food. Um, also from sickness. And then the Bible says, and also from wild animals. Interesting, you know, as I read that, I'm like, what's that mean? Like lions, tigers, bears, they break out of the zoos, they go mauling people. Like, what's that, what's that look like? I don't think so. Um, in fact, in the history of humanity, we've had to deal with this stuff. Something as simple as like rats, okay, that carry diseases and, you're, you know, places throughout the world have, have already been devastated in the past by, um, by animals like, like, like rats, okay? And so it could be something as small as that. Um, don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But that happens. And so one-fourth of the population on earth dies during this time. It's a short period of time. Um, the fifth seal is then broken, and the Christians are then killed. Now, some of you guys are going, what? Christians? I thought they were taken. You said they were raptured up. What's going on? God reneging on this, or what, what's the deal? No, 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 no. The Christians are taken, and for a while, you know, as long as it takes for someone to go, okay, okay, God, um, for a while, there are no Christians on the, on the earth, because they're all gone. But then there's still Bibles, and people start coming to Jesus. Maybe, like if this were going to happen a year from now, maybe even some people in this room, you'll be remembering this message and going, whoa, this is happening. And uh, like the rapture, you know, people just disappeared. And so people give their lives over to Jesus. And so for the first few years of the tribulation, the church is kind of restarted with a brand new group of people. And those people, the Antichrist or the, this world leader, starts to put to death because they refuse to worship this world leader. And then Jesus, he opens up the sixth seal and the worldwide disasters happen. There's a huge earthquake. The sun is blocked out. The moon turns reddish. And it sounds like there's like fiery rocks falling from the sky, which could be something like a meteorite's um, falling on the earth. And the Bible tells us that people start running for their lives and they start hiding in caves. And then the seventh seal is open. John tells us as he's watching this and Jesus opens up the seventh seal. This is the, the heaven is silent for 30 minutes. And I don't think it's just they had nothing to talk about. I think heaven and everybody there, I think they are shocked by what is about to happen. Then John tells us that any, the angel, an angel, some angel, hurls a huge fireball at the earth. Pro again, probably something like a meteorite type thing. And it causes an earthquake, causes a global storm. Not just a little storm that goes away tomorrow. This is a global storm, something that has never happened on the earth before. And then the trumpets start. So we're to hear. All right, the trumpets. It says, uh, when the first trumpet sounds and hail and fire fall from the sky and one-third of the earth is burned up and one-third of the plants are gone. And then the second trumpet um, starts and, and or 
yeah, rings and the meteorite, sounds like, falls into the ocean. And one-third of the ocean animals die. And one-third of the ships are just instantly wiped out. They're instantly gone. Actually, I was looking up some things um, from secular sources saying, what would happen if an if a, a asteroid or I guess that would be a meteorite, you know, falls into the Atlantic Ocean? And they're saying it caused tsunamis and tidal waves. And like n- New York and Miami and Boston would all be gone. Like all this stuff is, is possible. And it's just interesting that, that we know that now. And that's exactly what happens. The third trumpet sounds, and another meteorite sounds like falls, and one-third of the rivers and lakes and the fresh water on earth, it's actually turned poisonous, and many people die from drinking that water. Um, during the, the fourth trumpet sounds, and the sun and the moon and the stars turn dark one-third at the time, and the seasons are just like instantly gone. It's kind of interesting. Like we're worried about global warming now, and I'm not wanting to talk to anybody about global warming after the service, so don't even come try. Okay, I'm going to say no, all right? Um, But uh, it's interesting. We're worried about like a couple degrees changing, right? This is like the whole atmosphere of the earth completely changes. Like it's it's just completely different that all seasons are just instantly gone. And when this happens, John says somebody from heaven starts yelling out. They say, woe to those living on the earth. Like basically saying, you think this is bad. It's going to get way worse. And the fifth trumpet sounds. And John says, the abyss is opened up and the demons are let out. Now, just want to explain this real quick. Um, how many of you guys remember the story? We've talked about this here in church before. But remember the story where um, Jesus, they cross the Sea of Galilee. He's with his disciples. And they get to the other side. And there's this, like, naked guy that comes running up to him. And it, like, comes up to Jesus and starts yelling and freaking out. You guys remember that story? And he, he's demon-possessed. Um, and so he goes down and he uh, falls down at Jesus' feet and he's like, I know who you are, Jesus. I know who you are. You are God. And what are you doing here? And then he starts begging Jesus. He says, hey, please don't send me into the abyss. All right. And, and Jesus asks them their name and he says, actually, we're, there's a bunch of us in here. So we call ourselves Legion and, and all this stuff. And then they beg Jesus to, to send them into pigs nearby and, they go, and Jesus says, okay, go. And they go and they, all the pigs rush down and all die. Remember that story? Okay, but interesting, these demons, what are they worried about? They're like, whoa, I don't care what you do, Jesus, just don't send us into the abyss. So there's this thing that the Bible calls the abyss, and that's just a, that's just a name, okay? It's not like, you know, what, I think we have all these weird things that we think about when we think of the abyss. Um, but uh, what we find out, what we know is that in the days before the flood, okay, before Noah, it appears, I actually just read this today in my own personal reading um, in First Peter. But, uh, but in the days before Noah, there were demons that, in, who were just fallen angels that God kicked out of heaven. But they did some stuff that were so bad that God took them and he placed them in a place called the abyss because he was like, you guys have done some stuff that's so bad, so worse than all the rest. I'm taking you and I'm putting you into the abyss until the end of the time. And so now, fast forward, that's at the beginning of the world where, you know, before Noah and the flood, and now here we are, and God, er, basically, during this trumpet, those, the abysses open up, and these demons are allowed to, you know, they're allowed to, to be out in Rome and do whatever they want to do. But God tells them that they are not allowed to kill anyone. And so all they do is they torture people, and people beg to die, but they won't die. And they do this, the Bible tells us, for five months is what John says. 
And then the sixth trumpet sounds, and one-third of mankind dies by fire. John says, by fire and smoke. Again, he's just trying to describe what's going on. This could be a nuclear bomb. This could be any type of bomb, I guess, really, or a meteor or something like that happens. And so for us as Christians, I think we naturally, we start to feel bad for these people, right? Like, we feel bad for these guys. Like, surely these people are running to God. Like, this is horrible, horrible stuff. But John says this in Revelation chapter 9. He says, the rest of the people who were not killed with the, by these plagues, they did not repent of their works of their hands. To stop worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot even see, hear, or walk. He's like, this is stupid. Um, he says, and they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. He's like, they didn't care that all this was going on. They, wasn't, they weren't going to go to God. They're not going to go to God. And then the seventh trumpet sounds, and there's another global storm and an earthquake, and, and hail falls from the sky. It's just terrible, terrible stuff. And then the bowls happen. All right, the bowls, it's this picture of God pouring out this stuff that's going to be happening on the earth. Like, it's, he's pouring it out. So the first bowl happens, in, and it's an epidemic that happens throughout the entire world. It's kind of sound familiar, kind of like a COVID thing maybe. But this is where there's painful sores all over these people's bodies, and it just hurts. And then the second bowl is poured out, and all sea life just dies. It's all death. And then the third bowl is poured out, and all the fresh water and rivers and lakes, they all turn bad where people can't drink from them anymore. And then the fourth bowl is poured out, and the sun becomes too hot where people can't go outside, and, and it hurts, and people are getting burned. And even then, John says, these people, they start cursing God when this starts happening. And then the fifth bowl is poured out, and the sky turns dark, and these people still refuse to repent. And then the sixth bowl happens, and Satan and the demons, they go, and they gather all the nations together, and all the people on earth together. And then the seventh bowl happens, where there's this huge earthquake like no other. And the mountains disappear, John says. And he saw the islands, they, they disappeared as well, and 100-pound and rocks fall from the sky. And it's almost like God is reconfiguring the earth to pre-flood conditions. It's like he's putting it back to the way he originally made it in preparation for the coming of the king. In the meantime, the people curse God. And that's when Jesus returns, which we'll talk about the next couple of weeks. But these things, that all that that happens are within these seven years, and that's what Paul is referring to when he talks about the day of the Lord. Again, it's a period of time where God deals with evil in the world directly and dramatically. And it sounds intense, and it sounds terrible, and it's so big, and it's so bad. I don't think we have the ability to even imagine what it's going to look like. But the good news is that we as Christians, we don't have to be afraid because we won't be here. Right? We're, this has nothing to do with us because we won't be here. In fact, Paul, back to 1 Thessalonians, he, he, he reminds them. He says, but you brothers and sisters, you're not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. Like, like you won't be surprised. You actually won't even be there. He says, for you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. He's like, we are not a part of this. We're gone. We're out. We've been sucked up. You know, we're, we're, we're done. He then says a few verses later, he says, for God did not appoint us to wrath, 
He didn't point us to punishment. That's not what he wants for us, but to obtain salvation. He wants to save us from that. He wants to pay for everything we've ever done wrong. And the only way we do that is through the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago, who he reminds them, he says, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep or whether we are still alive when that happens or we are dead, we may live together with him. Therefore, This is what he wants us to do. Encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. So what? Right? I mean, what are we supposed to do with this information that we've gone through today? Paul's like, no, use it to encourage each other and to build each other up. Right? This is like great news for us. This is good news. We don't have to be here for any of this. We're not those people, but this also, so that's good news, but it also gives us a sense of urgency in our own life, meaning it should bother us, this idea that people that we care for and people that we love having to go through this. That shouldn't sit well with us. And so that gives us urgency and it pushes and it motivates us to spread the word, to tell people about Jesus, that they can have hope and that they can have forgiveness from their creator. See, the honest truth is we are living in the last of the last days. That doesn't mean you should worry about it or freak out or, you know, anything like that. That's really... Paul's saying that should be encouraging to us, and that should give us a sense of urgency that our mission and our job, I mean, we, we, got, we got work to do with the people within our own lives. And it means something. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for these words. I mean, some of it is hard to imagine, and maybe for even some of us, this is hard to believe, but God, it's truth. It doesn't really matter what we think. And this is what's going to happen someday. It might even happen within our own lifetime. But God, we thank you for coming and saving us. A, you didn't have to do that. You don't owe us anything. You did that because for some reason you love us. But God, we thank you for caring about us. And we ask that you'd use these words to help us feel that urgency in our life. Help it to bother us. That people around us that we know might be here for that. And we ask that you'd use us. God, we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.